Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. Suppose your second grade child came home from school and said, Today we learned that 2 plus 2 equals 10. You might think that maybe your child wasn't paying attention close enough, so you gently correct the error and include a few examples of simple addition facts just for security. Now suppose your second-grade child comes home from school day after day, and everything being taught in science and math class is blatantly false. Moreover, as a trained scientist, you have first-hand knowledge of the subject matter and can verify that what is being taught is just not true. For centuries, scientific experimentation proceeds and has proceeded by a set of very strict principles and rules to ensure accuracy and truth. Without adherence to the scientific method, humanity's progress would have been haphazard and ineffective. Some of the greatest scientific failures in history have occurred when science was used as a tool of government to advance their self-serving agendas. For example, Galileo was imprisoned by the Roman Catholic Church for stating that the sun, not the earth, was the center of our solar system. Suppose our government declared that the earth was indeed flat, and proposed a multi-trillion dollar project to build a seawall around the edges of the sea to prevent water from escaping. You think that's crazy? Oh, absolutely. So why would you feel any better about spending trillions of dollars to destroy our economy, to reduce our standard of living to third world status, to cause massive human death from starvation and disease, and to live under totalitarian rule, all to reduce the Earth's temperature by one one-hundredth of a degree over the next ten years. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio will answer that question. I sincerely hope she will. Anna Tillman is a geologist whose challenge is to re-educate her young daughter when she comes home from school. It is her personal battle with the Church of Climate Change. So let's start with a quote from Anna Tillman herself, and I quote, As a geologist, I do have a unique perspective on this issue, and I have followed it since the first presentation by Al Gore many years ago. 
when I first heard him speak, I laughed to myself and thought that no one would ever believe his scam. I am truly shocked and disgusted that this bad science has taken on a life of its own. Anna Tillman, welcome to Freedom Forum Radio. Thank you, Dr. Dan. It is a pleasure to have you here, and you are a geologist, and so let's start off by telling our listeners uh, what is your background in geology. Well, I uh, first I grew up in, uh, in Georgia, so I'm a Georgia native, um, but I was living in North Augusta, South Carolina, um, as uh, for high school, and so I went to University of South Carolina, where I um, obtained a bachelor's and master's degree in geology. From there, I worked for Amoco for five years as a petroleum geologist, and then I worked for Shell for 20 years as an environmental geologist. So I've worked for many years in the geology field, and uh, I know quite a lot about environmental sciences. And I have followed uh, the climate change issue, as Dr. Dan mentioned, since uh, since Al Gore first um, started his Inconvenient Truth video. So you are very well educated in geology. Yes. And you're very well educated in the environmental aspects. Um, obviously, working for petroleum companies, uh, they're basically digging into the earth. So geology plays an important part. And so your job for the last 20 or 30 years has been intimately involved with how the earth is constructed. Yes. And, and that gives you knowledge that is really kind of important uh, for all of us to, to know about. Um, now, when you went to school, I'm sure they taught you about the scientific method. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us about the scientific method? The scientific method is awesome. And I have used it uh, in my career, in my education, and it is, uh, it is actually the quality assurance process for science, which is what is entirely missing in the climate alarmists, um, you know, their process. They, they don't get the assurance piece, and, uh, you know, they've turned it into a religion. But we form hypothesis in the scientific method. And uh, you develop experiments around that hypothesis. And, um, and then you analyze the data. So you collect data, you analyze it, graph it, and then you draw conclusions from the data. And the awesome thing about the scientific method is that whatever conclusions you draw, if your hypothesis is correct, you're great, you're good, you're good you go on. If not, you start over. It's an iterative process. And what I've found recently and what the climate alarmists have been doing to the scientific method is that they are actually stopping that iterative process. The science, in fact, they're calling it the scientific process now instead of scientific method. Well, you know, actually part of the whole concept of Marxism is to deny true science. Absolutely. And what they use is what they call scientism, which is, I don't know what it is, but it is not science. It is not true science. And as I, as I mentioned in the beginning here, is that this process 
is really critical if we want to really if we want to get proper results that are verifiable. That's how we have progressed over the course of centuries. Scientists have tried things out, written down the results by from experimentation, and when it works out, yeah, it's great. But if it doesn't work out, you can't sit there denying the data that you have received. That's absolutely right. And, you know, Albert Einstein said that you can conduct 100 experiments that you cannot prove a hypothesis wrong, wrong, but you can conduct one that will. So it's an inductive process. And what's really important about about the scientific process, and I think it's really it's it's critical that we understand that because that's really what's gone awry here. Because we have allowed people who call themselves scientists to befuddle our brains and give us what they call facts, which we know are not facts because they can't prove them. We have allowed them to achieve a sort of a state of believability that they don't deserve. They don't even come close to observing. Because not only is their, their experimentation badly designed, they're outright liars in many cases. They just give us fake data. They're liars, and they don't allow any contest to their information and to their data. They don't allow that at all. And anybody that tries to rebut what they say and what they do are absolutely crushed, fired, humiliated. It's terrible. So let's go over that scientific method again because people need to understand what should be done and what's not being done. So you come up with a hypothesis that's something you want to prove and you design an experiment that you think will give you data that will you can then analyze. And that's what you do. So you do your experiments, you collect your data, and then you evaluate your data. Isn't that what happens? That's exactly right. And if it, if it supports the hypothesis, then you're good to go. If it does not support the hypothesis, you go back to the beginning, change your hypothesis, change your experiments, collect new data, and do the process again. The other part of the scientific process that's really important is that other people have to be able to take your hypothesis and your science, the method that you use, your experiments, repeat your experiments, and verify your results. Isn't absolutely, that absolutely. That's peer review. It's peer review. And another thing the alarmists don't allow is peer review. So what is exactly peer review to you? So, so someone in the you know, scientific community will take, again, like you said, they'll repeat the experiment collect their own data separately from, independently from the person that they're reviewing and either verify that the hypothesis and the data are correct or they may make their own um, analysis and say that it is incorrect. You know, over the course of my career, I've, I've written about 14 peer-reviewed uh, scientific papers. Um, and I will tell you, the process was, in fact, rigorous. It's very rigorous. It should be. It should be. You're absolutely right. And, and people read over the, the, uh, the papers. They, they nitpicked this. They nitpicked that. They sent it back and said, I don't believe that. You've got to prove that to me or you've got to prove that. Uh, and it wasn't until every single objection was satisfied 
that a reputable journal with a history of publishing reputable, believable papers said, okay, we'll publish your paper. Which is exactly what should happen. And it's not, is it? It is not happening at all. It's not allowed. Isn't some of the data actually lost? Data's lost. Data's changed. It's modified. Graphs, they use different scales on the graphs to make things look different. They have lots of tricks in their bag. So what we've seen, of course, now is that science has been co-opted by... It has been hijacked. Hijacked. Absolutely hijacked. I bet you that makes you furious. It burns me up. It absolutely eats at me. We're talking with Anna Tillman, a graduate geologist who has worked in the petroleum industry for a number of years. Uh, And we're talking about the scientific method. Uh, How did that play into your work when you were employed in the petroleum industry? Did you actually need to do scientific work, experimentation? Every day. How did that work out? Uh, well, it worked out It worked out great, and some things I did that were right and some that were wrong, but we worked through it. And, uh, you know, the main part of my career I spent in environmental cleanup, contamination, that's what I did for Shell. So um, soil and groundwater cleanup, soil and groundwater assessment. And it's very difficult. I mean, the earth and geology is very complicated. I used to say it's not rocket science, it's much more complicated. And that's the same with the climate science. It is not rocket science. It is incredibly much more complicated, many more variables. So, you know, it was working through to get the best solution in my in my job and in my career, it would be to work through to get the best solution. You dealt with uh, with cleanup of oil spills and yes. things of that nature. Um, out of curiosity, I mean, we see... Obviously, every time there's an environmental disaster uh, of any kind, uh, obviously the the left seizes upon that to to make it appear as if it's worse than what it really is. Is that true? Absolutely true. Tell us about that. That's that's really fascinating. It it is fascinating. And uh, I've actually been on quite a few cleanup sites and spill sites, and done the work myself. And um, I would say while some of them are fairly bad, they are relatively easy to clean up, relatively easy to contain, and get the area back to um, to pristine. So the pictures we see of the birds covered in oil, that's probably one of the number one things we see, isn't it? We do. Yes, we do. And that's a pretty small percentage of of what actually happens. What actually happens? Go ahead and tell us. Well, the spills can be pretty bad, but again, their uh, petroleum actually breaks down fairly quickly and fairly easily because it is a natural material. It's from the earth. Uh, you don't want to drink it. You don't want to eat it, but it's natural, and it biodegrades easily. And quickly, and yes, that is damage to the birds, and that's kind of sad. But they do get cleaned up. Um, but that's a small percentage of what happens. 
You know, one of the things that uh, you also hear is that on these oil rigs out in the, the, Gulf, of, uh, the Gulf of Mexico that uh, they killed a shrimp. Is that true? I'm not sure about killing the shrimp. They might catch them to eat them. <laughs> no, because what I've heard is that actually the shrimp like to live around the, the uh, oil rigs. They provide safety and places to nest and things like that. They do, and so do lots of other fishes. They have whole ecosystems of fish around those rigs. Corals grow on the rigs themselves, and so, so it actually creates an ecosystem for them to live. Kind of like a coral reef yes, with, like a, a, with a metal, metallic uh, yes. infrastructure. And often a lot, a lot of times the derricks are actually left in place, and that's exactly what happens, that it's a place for ecosystems to develop and grow for the fish. Okay, well, that's obviously very interesting. <laughs> it's always interesting when someone who actually knows what they're talking about tells you the truth. We don't get the truth. The we truth. don't get the truth hardly ever. Yeah. So... Let's talk about, uh, we've talked about the scientific method. and, uh, and can, I, can I say one more thing about the scientific method? You can say whatever you want about the okay, scientific so, method. So one of my favorite stories is about Al Gore. Al Gore is one of my, um, mm, it's hard to say exactly how much I, I dislike what he's done and how he's done it. He's not a scientist, and uh, it's so incredibly hypocritical what he does and says. But how he got started on this was in a natural science class at Harvard. His professor was Dr. Ravel, and he actually made a D in the class, by the way. But the class was spent, Dr. Ravel started, and, and one thing, this, his hypothesis, Dr. Ravel's hypothesis, was that carbon dioxide, man-made carbon dioxide, might influence temperature, atmospheric temperature. So that was the hypothesis. That they started out. So the class worked on this. They did some experiments, collected some data, the whole scientific process. He did it very well. He did it appropriately, Dr. Ravel, that is. And the conclusion was that he felt like we should wait 10 to 20 years and maybe try that experiment again because he did not see a clear link between carbon dioxide, man-made carbon dioxide, and changes in global temperatures. So that was his, his uh, you know, based on his data, based on, you know, his knowledge. And Al Gore took that and brought it to where we are today. So through the scientific method, the scientific process, the outcome was inconclusive. And look what he did with it. And uh, before Dr. Ravel died, he actually wrote a letter to Congress saying that he didn't believe what Al Gore was doing, and he was really sorry that he had started him on that path. That's an incredibly interesting story. Isn't that? What year was that? The year that Dr. Ravel died. Oh, this was in when he was in Harvard. I'm not yeah. sure exactly what the year was, but it would have been in the eight, late 80s, 90s. Okay. Because it was... It took him a while to develop the whole, you know, he had to get all his buddies and all his family influence to get going on the global warming track to where he eventually, the video, the first movie came out in 97. So, yeah, that's what got him on that, on that path. So, basically, when it comes to people like Al Gore, it's a, it's a mechanism to earn money. 
it's completely a mechanism to earn money. You know, I heard a quote recently that uh, Al Gore is living proof that family influence, politics, and money can outweigh stupidity. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Yeah, when I play the hoochie-coochie man, I get joy in everything. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning.